Hey guys, welcome to episode 13 of the Redeeming Productivity Show. Got a good one for you today. We're going to be talking about the subject of reading and how to be a better reader. Um, but before we get started, I just wanted to say um, last week's episode had a great reception. My interview with Adam Ford, uh, who's the creator of the Babylon Bee. A lot of people seem to enjoy that one. So if you haven't listened to it yet, make sure you go check it out. That's episode 12. And we've got lots of other good interviews coming up in the future, as well as um, lots of these types of things where we're just talking about um, specific issues, just me. Uh, in fact, next week, um, I have Tim Challies, um, who is the man. Man, the myth, the legend behind uh, Chally's.com. So I've actually already recorded that interview, and that's going to be next week's episode. So if you're not already subscribed, you should subscribe to the podcast. This week's episode is about the subject of reading, and it is brought to you by Audible, uh, because audiobooks are awesome. If you haven't tried Audible before, it is a really great service. I've used it for years. Um, they have over 180,000 titles on the platform, and you can try it completely for free. Um, there's a 30-day trial you can use, um, and with that, you get one free audiobook of your choosing. It can be anything from the library. Um, and you can do that by going to audibletrial.com slash redeemingprod. There'll be a link to that in the show notes, but it's just audibletrial.com slash redeemingprod, P-R-O-D. Okay, so reading. We all know reading's important, and especially Christians should know reading's important since we have from God the Word of God in the Bible. So it's important that believers in Jesus Christ are a reading people. And reading is also um, especially beneficial for people who are interested in being productive because you want to expand your realm of knowledge. You want to be reading books that help you become better at what you're doing, whatever that task is, be it your job, uh, be it with your family, um, exposing yourself to ideas and concepts and ruminating on those. They help you to become a more well-rounded person. And I think most people know that reading is important, and most people probably would agree that they want to be better readers. They want to be reading more often, and we all kind of wish that maybe we would get more out of our reading, retain it better, um, be able to go a little bit deeper with what we are reading. And so in that vein, uh, this episode is about 10 things you can do to read more and read better. And so these are mostly simple, common sense tips, but hopefully something in here uh, you will be benefited by. I'm also doing something this week on the blog. There's going to be on Wednesday a companion piece to this. It's not going to be the same information, but it's going to be another looking at uh, reading from another angle. And so if you're not a reader of the blog, I would definitely suggest you check out what we're doing over there too, because it's usually completely different content than what we cover on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get in to the 10 uh, things you can do to read more and read better. Let's start with number one, because we'll go in order. Uh, Number one is choose a time to read. Okay, so if you want to be better at reading more often and getting more books done each year and getting through things, um, you need to find the time to read. And I think that's the biggest issue for a lot of people is they haven't really decided when they'll read. Um, For me, when I was a bachelor before I was married, I read every single night before bed and usually for a long time, often hours. And that was my major chunk of time when I read. I also would read in the morning too. And that's usually when I would read um, more theological 
type works when my mind was a bit sharper in the evenings I would um, try to focus on stuff that was a bit lighter that was if I did if I was reading fiction that was when I would do it Um, but oftentimes it was more Christian living type books because I like the Christian life Um, so choosing a time to read is important if if you don't pick a time if you kind of just hope it happens it's probably not going to happen reading really is a chip away project it's less important, um, I think, in the long run about the volume of reading you do at each time you read, where it's actually more important that you're just doing a little bit each day, even if it's a page, even if it's a paragraph. If you get into the habit of doing that, I think that over time the volume that you do in each session will expand, but it's being consistent day after day after day that you're going to find that at the end of a year you've churned through way more books than you did because you were fretting because you didn't have a one or two hour block to actually read. So just pick a time in the morning. Maybe it's maybe you make it part of your morning routine. You read the Bible, you pray, and then you spend some time in a book um, that you enjoy. Right now, now that I'm married, one thing we've tried might work for you. Sounds a little weird, but my wife and I read together every single evening before bed. And when I say read together, I mean that we read the same book. And by saying that we read the same book, I mean I read the book out loud to her like a child. Yeah, I know. It was her idea. Um, we actually found out some of our friends do the same thing. We were embarrassed about it. I was embarrassed about it. She thinks it's sweet. Um, but I was embarrassed about it. We found out some of our friends do the same thing. And I just got to say, it is a great, it's, we really enjoy it. We really enjoy it. It's a fun, uh, part of our marriage is it, it helps us both, uh, to wind down and go to sleep. It kind of is a shared activity. And, um, I love the sound of my own voice. Obviously I have a podcast and why else would you have a podcast unless you were completely enamored of your own voice. And so I don't mind reading out loud. And uh, yeah, you know, we kind of rotate what we're reading uh, between Harry Potter book two and uh, what is it? I think it's called An Alarm to the Unconverted by Joseph Elaine, which <laughs> reading a book uh, with the word alarm in the title uh, from a Puritan is a great way to soothe yourself to sleep in the evening uh, by just absolutely blasting your conscience. Uh, yeah, so pick a time to read. That's number one. Number two, if you want to become uh, someone who reads more and reads better, then the second thing you can do is choose a place to read. So the first one is choose a time to read. How about choosing a place to read? I just think this is so important. And, and there's studies and whatnot and science and all that uh, stuff about uh, how the power of place helps you to get you into a mindset for working. So if you have a workstation in your home, it kind of gets your head in that zone. Same thing with sleep. If you have this whole routine and you sleep in the same place and you do these things, that order, it just kind of helps carve out some paths, some furrows, if you will, in your mind, and it just gets your brain used to, oh, now I'm on the chair that I always read in, and your mind just kind of settles into reading mode. Uh, When we lived in the RV, uh, there was a couch in there that was kind of part of the RV, and that was my reading spot. And we had a little magazine rack that was on the wall, and all the books that I was currently reading were just there. And so I would just love it. I would just lay down there, um, stretch out on the couch, and I'd grab one of the books, and I would just read a few pages. And when I got bored, I'd read a different book. And so that's how I just made my way through all the different books that I was wanting to read at the time. This is actually choosing a place to read. I was thinking about it as I was preparing this episode. 
that's one of the things that since we've moved to our new place that I haven't done yet. And I, I've noticed uh, that my reading um, has slackened quite a bit um, since moving. And some of that's due to we had a baby and, you know, minor life changes like that. But uh, I don't really have a place where I always read. And so as so I was doing this, I was like, you know, I need to set this up in my new spot. And I think I have a spot. We have a chair that, uh, that I think is going to become my reading spot. The number three tip for helping you to become a better reader is to be more selective. Be more selective with what you read. You know, all of us, we only have so much time. There are, even for the fastest readers, there are only so many books that they are going to have time to read before they die. And it's the same for all of us. So in light of that, we need to be careful with what we read. We don't want to waste our time on books that are of little value to us or little interest or, you know, feel compelled to finish a book simply because you began it. So one way of being more selective with what you read is by doing what's called inspectional reading. Inspectional reading is where you, before you launch in and just to commit to reading an entire book, you do a little bit of legwork on the front end. Um, so inspectional reading involves reading the index of a book. Where, where is this book going? Um, dipping into a few chapters, reading the introductory paragraphs and the concluding paragraphs of a couple of the chapters and say, well, how does this build? Is the writing good? Is this actually going to be something that interests me? Um, maybe looking at other things the author's done. Nowadays, we can go online, read reviews about books before we jump into them. Um, doing a little bit of work up front helps you, before you commit to reading a book, uh, to make sure that committing the time to it is going to be worth it. Um, and another thing with this is if a book is not good, you're getting into it and you're finding that you're just not getting much out of it. Stop. Just because you started a book doesn't mean you have to finish it. You're not going to get in any trouble for that, unless it's for school, then you're probably going to fail. But if you're just reading for pleasure, or reading for information, and it's just something you're reading, don't feel like you have to finish a book just because you started it. Put it down and read something else. Maybe you'll come back to it later. Maybe you won't. But you don't need to do that. There's only so much time, so you've got to be selective. Uh, another aspect of being selective with reading is making sure that what you're reading isn't just interesting to you, but it's actually helpful. Um, you're actually learning. You're actually growing from it. If we just read books that are fun and it's just fictional stuff or just light reading, that's fine. You're reading for entertainment. But if you're really wanting to grow um, in your understanding of God's word by reading uh, books about the Bible or about Christian living or just books that are informational, history, things like that, you need to be pushing yourself a little bit. Um, so make sure you're doing that. Um, there's this concept in uh, education. It's called X plus one. And the idea with that is X is wherever a student is at. So in our case, it's where we're at in our understanding. So if you're reading, let, let's give the example of theology, for example. If you're, your X is that um, you read and you understand Wayne Grudem's systematic theology or things on that level. Well, then the plus one is you need to go a little bit above that, a little bit beyond that. So you might want to pick up uh, a book on theology that isn't um, incredibly in-depth. So I, I, if you were at that point, I wouldn't recommend that you start to work through the works of Owen just yet, of John Owen. I would start a little bit before that, um, maybe dig into something that's just slightly more in-depth and stretch yourself, but not to the point of exasperating yourself where you're like, I don't understand most of what I'm reading in this book. And if, that, if you're at that point, it's not really helping you. 
So be selective in that regard too. Read things that push you a little bit in your understanding, your thinking, but not things that are just totally going over your head. You'll get there eventually, but work your way towards it. And number four is keep the goal of reading in mind. So when you're reading, keep the goal of reading in mind. Well, what do I mean by the goal of reading? What's the goal of reading? Well, that's maybe a good first step. Have you ever considered what is the goal when you're reading? What are you trying to do? When it's fiction, uh, you're just trying to be entertained. You're, you're out to just try to follow a good story and, and a real page turner. It just keeps going on its own. So you don't really think that much about the reading as you're doing it. Um, but if you're reading things that are more didactic, more instructional, um, especially if you're reading Christian books or you're reading the Word of God, you need to be thinking about what am I doing? What, what am I trying to get out of this book? And really, the goal of reading, I'll summarize it, is to understand the author's intent. This is true whether it's divine literature in the words of God or it's any old book you pick up off the street. The goal of reading is to understand the author's intent, what they meant by what they said, the original author to the original audience. So if you're thinking that way, that helps you become a better uh, reader. And this is a key hermeneutical principle in studying the Word of God because it's a key hermeneutical principle in understanding anything. You want to understand what the author is trying to say. So um, you can do this by uh, mentally kind of thinking through what you're asking questions, right? What's the author's point here? What's their thesis? What's the overall argument? What are the sub arguments? How does this all fit together uh, to, to make the point that he's trying to make? You have to be active in this, but the, the only way you're going to do that is if you first begin by thinking, what's the point of reading? What am I trying to get out of this? And also, what is the author trying to say? That's the main thing. And related to that is actually point number five. Tip number five is read like a writer. So if we said in point number four that we're trying to kind of get into the author's head, well, one of the best ways to do that is to think like a writer when you're reading. What do I mean? Well, if you've ever written anything, you know that writing is done with a purpose. If you've written a, a term paper or something like that for school in the past, even a letter, even a text message, you have an overall point you're trying to make. And if it's something longer, you have a structure to it and, it, and you've thought about it. You've thought about how each point's going to build on the next. Well, any writer worth their salt, if you're reading a book, um, they have done some work to think through the structure. They're, they have thought about why this chapter follows this chapter. There's a main point to the book. There's a main problem that they're trying to solve. And there are arguments throughout it that build on one another. So if you know that they've taken the time to think through all of that, then you, as a reader, owes it to that author to try to empathize with them in the sense that, okay, if they've made a structure, I need to discover what that structure is. And so you can do that by asking those questions, really, as you're reading. Um, an aspect of what I mentioned earlier, inspectional reading, is to try to get some of the skeleton, uh, the bones of what uh, the author is trying to say. Understand how the chapters fit together and how they build. 
But as you're reading, you're constantly asking these questions. Why, how is this connected to this? Why did this follow that? How does this go towards the main thesis of the book? Is this argument valid or is it not? You're asking all of these questions because you understand that the writing was deliberate. And so in seeking to perceive what the author's intent was, you need to be deliberate likewise in how you read the book. Number six is review what you read. Review what you read. If you want to become better at reading, if you want to be better at retaining it and and understanding it and getting those ideas into you, um, then you need to review what you read. Um, This can be as simple as uh, writing summaries of what you're reading. I know Ian Murray, the biographer, he has talked about the fact that on the end papers, that's the the extra papers at the beginning and end of of each of the books you read, uh, he would write an outline of the books he read. Write it all out, a whole outline of it, which seems like that probably helped him in writing his biographies. But that was the way that he got it to sink into him by forcing himself to think through the author's structure and um, getting it down on paper and, and driving it through himself and out through his pen onto the page and also served as a useful reference point later. Um, often what I'll do is uh, when I'm reading a book, you know, each chapter, right, there's the the chapter number and the title, and then there's lots of white space around that before the text begins. So in that space, or on the back of the the end of the previous chapter, there's extra space there, I will write a little summary, just real short, a few sentences of what the chapter I just read was about. So you see what I'm saying is I'll, I'll, I'll read, say, chapter five. I get to the end of chapter five, and then I go back to the beginning, and at the beginning of chapter five, I write down some notes about what it's about, what are the key points, things that, I'm, that I don't agree with, that kind of stuff. Um, and by doing that, it helps the whole chapter sink into me a little deeper because I'm forced to summarize it. It's an easy practice, and it also helps me later on um, in books that I want to reference again. It's like, what was, where was that thing about here? And then I could find it really easily. Um, I'm not saying you need to write book reports on every book you read. That'd be a drag. Um, no, it can be as simple. Um, reviewing what you read can be as simple as just thinking on it. And in fact, this is exactly what John Calvin did. Um, so John Calvin, that great uh, reformer, uh, he was a prodigious intellect. And just a sidebar here, if you've never read Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, oh man, you should read it. Even if you're not, if you're like, I'm not a Calvinist, it's not Calvinism, the whole thing. You know, there's a section on soteriology, that's the doctrine of salvation, but it's just a great systematic theology of the Christian faith, and it's immensely readable. It's so helpful. And also just from a historical perspective, in terms of a classic, a book that's influenced history, Protestant history, it's great to have interacted with that primary source. So I would encourage you to do it. Um, get get a translation of it. I think the Battles translation is usually the one people recommend. And uh, just churn through it. Uh, it's well worth your time. Okay, end of um, rant about that. But John Calvin was an immense, prodigious intellect. Um, so the question you're asking is, how does someone become like that? Obviously, it's, you know, the the providence of God, but God uses means in his providence. So how did God grow the intellect of John Calvin, help him um, become prepared for the work he did during uh, the Protestant Reformation? Well, he grew his mind a lot of that was through reading and study, just on his own, even as a young man. Um, and Theodore Beza, who was a protege of Calvin, talked about Calvin's study habits, and one in particular that I think you'll find interesting. Um, so here's a quote from Theodore Beza about John Calvin. 
It reads, He often stayed up till midnight to study and ate hardly any supper in eagerness for his work. Each morning when he woke, he would stay in bed for a few moments while he recalled to mind all that he had studied the previous day and mull it over, so to speak. Did you catch that? So this first part, he's talking about, you know, that, that Calvin stayed up late studying every night, which, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Lots of study is important. But it's the second part I found the most interesting. said so that each morning after these late nights of study, late nights of study, he would stay in bed for a few moments after he woke up and just recall to mind the things that he had studied and read and just mull them over, he says, right? He'd ruminate on them. He would meditate on them. He, and he would let them sink into him. He'd be like, hmm, yeah, okay, so what was that about? Interesting, yeah. And his argument was this, but is that a fair argument? You know, that kind of stuff, mulling it over. Just doing that, it's an easy practice, and it's an enjoyable thing to do, but that interacting with those ideas just in your mind helps them to sink into you and helps you to sharpen your own thinking. So review what you read. Number seven is make a list of what you're reading and what you plan to read. So make a list of what you'll read, number seven. Um, so you can do this in a notepad. I've been using this app called Notion recently to keep track of a lot of stuff. Check out Notion. It's, it's actually a really fun app. I might do a, a post or a, um, an episode on that app sometime in the future because I'm really liking it. Um, but you can do it in a simple notepad, in the back of your journal, even just a piece of paper. Um, you could do it physically, not even write them down. Just have a stack of books or a shelf on one of your bookshelves. You say, these are the books I'm trying to get through. Having kind of a goal in mind and having set up where you're getting and where you're trying to go is a little bit motivating, isn't it? Um, because you're like, well, I need to get through this book because, man, I'm really looking forward to this next one. And it just puts something in front of you. Keeping a record of what you've read is helpful because you have an idea of, did I read only one book this year? <laughs> or, you know, did how, how many books did I read? What have I read? Um, if, if you read a lot, eventually you start to forget what books you have and haven't read. I, I think any um, uh, reader who reads a lot will tell you about often of times when they've bought the same book again and it's one they've already read. Um, I know that I've done that. Um, so keeping a list is helpful in that regard um, to know what you've read. And, and just it's encouraging. You get to say check a book off the list that you've been wanting to read. So number seven is make a list of what you'll read. Um, this can also be practical for non-print um, you know, form books. Uh, it can be practical for writing, or I'm sorry, articles. Um, I just recently started using an RSS reader again. If you don't know what that is, people used to use Google Reader. Um, I'm using Feedly right now. Um, you can keep, uh, you can basically have a feed of news articles um, of different from different sources or blogs or whatever it is, and you can get the content of them there and kind of work yourself through uh, what's new today or what's the most popular. Um, and another app that helps with this is called Pocket. And if you have that, you can have it on your app, you can have it or on your, your phone, I should say, or you can have it as a browser extension. You can save articles to Pocket. And what it does is it basically clips them so that you have them uh, in this app for later. If you want to read, you know, the Atlantic has some long form thing. You don't have the time to read it, but it's a really fascinating article. You clip it into Pocket and then you go and read that later. Um, and you can even have it read to you in a, in a robot voice um, if you want to listen to it in the car or something. So that's a really cool way to keep a reading list for non-book content. Number eight is interact with what you read. Um, interact with it. 
uh, reading is not a passive activity, or it shouldn't be. You should be engaging with it. And that means, as we've talked about, taking notes, summarizing things. Um, but I am a huge advocate for writing in your books. I, I, I know some people want to keep them pristine. I just don't see the point. The, uh, it's Mortimer J. Adler who wrote How to Read a Book. He has this whole long thing uh, about how, why you should write into a book and about how when you buy a book, it becomes your property and, and it's yours to write and, and you need to interact with it. You need to, to, to fight with it, as it were, through, through underlining, through uh, arguing even in written word uh, with the author. Um, I just think it's so important to interact with what you're reading. Um, with marginalia, um, th- there's actually this is Adler as well in How to Read a Book. He talks about three levels of marks. I found this really helpful. Um, when you're reading a book, you can underline something, right, to kind of make it stand out to you. Um, or if it's a really long section, just draw a line next to it, almost like a bracket. Uh, in the uh, in the margin, so you don't have to underline every single line. So that's one level of underlining, and that that's less that stuff that's a little more important than everything else, uh, but less important than uh, starring. So you might do underline and then star it next to it, and you may have maybe a dozen of those in a book, and those are extra important things, and they're a little bit higher priority than uh, underlines. And then the third one is dog-earing the page, which I just heard screams of panic when I said that. Turning down the corner of the page, literally bending it, permanently ruining your book. I do this. You, you dog ear the page of important sections because you want to come back to them later and, and see what, what was it that I interacted with this? What's, what was it that's important to me um, when I read this the first time? Uh, so those three levels of being able to mark out the book, I think are incredibly, incredibly important. And I found that system just simple and helpful when I'm reading a book. I always read it with a pen or pencil in hand. Um, and then, of course, interacting with it involves, like I said, writing in the margins. Sometimes it'll just be a question mark. Sometimes it'll be like, this is why that what he's saying here is wrong. Or I'll say, you know, other, I'll write out a full question. It's like, what does he, by this, does he mean this or this? And then sometimes it'll be answered on a later page and I can come back and be like, yeah, he meant this, see page eight, that kind of thing. So interact with it. It's a conversation. Reading is a conversation between author and reader. So converse. Number nine. Talk about what you're reading. Share it. I really think this is important. If you're reading, if you're growing, if, the, if you're ruminating on ideas, things that you're interacting with books, you're going to want to talk with people about it. And this is helpful in the process of, of meditating and growing uh, in the ideas you're interacting with. So that could be friends. It could be a spouse. I'm often telling Kim about stuff I'm reading about, and she is very patient with me to listen. And we'll talk about that because sometimes there's great um, things that are just interesting, uh, and other people benefit from that too. Um, even on social media, you might share something that, that you're reading about and you know, uh, use that as a forum for discussion. Uh, or book clubs, if you want to do that. I've never done a book club, but I imagine that's a thing in real life and not just on TV shows, um, where you read a book together and discuss it. You might be able to find people at work that you could get lunch together once a month and, and talk about the things you're reading or have a, have a book that you all read and then discuss. I don't know. These are just ideas to help you read better. Um, and that really is what it's about. It, it, books, the written word, all of it, it's, it's a, a means of transmitting ideas and meaning. And 
that is conveyed also through through speaking and and it's refined it's this very i think an organic uh, process by which our thinking is shaped through through reading through writing and through conversing about those things with others and so finding different ways to talk about the ideas that are bouncing around in our head or express them i think is really important and then finally number 10 um if you want to read more, one easy way to do that is to listen to audiobooks. Um, reading with the eyes is great. Um, I think it's probably preferable, but you can't always uh, have a book open in front of you. For example, when you're driving, you will get pulled over or die if you're trying to read a book uh, with your eyes. So audiobooks are an awesome way to consume ideas um, and to consume different works Uh I, I think I have kind of a criteria for what audiobooks I'll listen to. I'll listen to stuff that's not quite as deep stuff that I don't want to interact with, like writing in the margins stuff, obviously, because I, I can't do that. Um, so usually if there's a new book that's come out that I don't know a ton about and I don't want to spend my precious eyesight reading time on that book because I just want to evaluate it, um, I'll listen on audiobook first. And uh, I found that really helpful. You know, years ago, I worked as a janitor, and um, I listened to so many audiobooks. I work completely alone, and it was often for hours and hours and hours. And so I music just gets boring after a while. You can't listen to eight hours of music. Um, you can, but it's just not that interesting after a while. So I started listening to audiobooks and sermons and things like that, and I just started churning through books, churning through them. And I just found it so, so helpful um, because I got to engage with such a huge variety of books that I wouldn't have been able to do while I was on the job. Um, so I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. And like I said in the show intro, I think the best place to get audiobooks is on audible.com. Um, I've been a member uh, with Audible for years. Uh, I had, when I was a janitor, I was, had their highest tier subscription because I turned through so many books. It's just an awesome way to, um, to, to get the newest and the best audiobooks. They have the largest collection that you can find. Um, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. And you can get uh, a free audiobook. It's not just some random one. It's any audiobook of your choosing and a 30-day free trial. If you go to my link, which is audibletrial.com slash redeemingprod. That's audibletrial.com slash redeemingprod, P-R-O-D. Well, that's all for this week. Um, be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast, follow us on social media, and also, if you haven't ever gone over there, check out the website, redeemingproductivity.com. I've got tons of blog articles there. There's, I'm always posting new things. I have a new feature every Friday where I'm, uh, it's called Reagan's Roundup, which, yeah, you're supposed to think about the Woody's Roundup song from Toy Story when you hear that, and that's where I just have a bunch of links of things that I found that week around the web that I think will be interesting or helpful to Christians who are seeking to live a more productive life. So I'll catch you here next time on the Redeeming Productivity Show. And until then, remember that in whatever you do, do it well and do it all to the glory of God.